Praise God. Let's turn back to Colossians chapter 2. How many of you were not here last night? This is your first service. Could I see your hand? Wow. Lots of people. Let me just mention that last night I started teaching from the book of Colossians and I uh, didn't get too far. I started basically in Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 and we got about a third of the way through Colossians 2 2. So real quickly, let me just say a few things and then I want to go back and continue on this. But Paul was writing to people who he hadn't personally ministered to and he had great conflict and was concerned that they had really gotten the gospel message. And I likened this to our situation today because we, I am really concerned that the body of Christ today, the church religious realm today has not heard the same gospel that Paul preached And so this is what occasioned Paul to write this book is because he wanted to make sure that they had the foundational truths. And in verse two, Colossians chapter two, verse two, he began to start getting into kind of the heart of it. And he says, I want your hearts to be comforted, knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the father and of Christ. And that mystery based on Colossians chapter one, verses 26 and 27, it says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this mystery that he's talking about, the things that people didn't know and never even conceived, who could have believed that God Almighty would live inside of us. This is, you know, we have heard this, but very few people have a real revelation of it. This is what Charlie's song about what a joy it is to be one with the Lord. Most people haven't really thought about this, but it's not just in principle. It's not just on paper. It's not just some kind of a, you know, a, I don't know, an accounting thing that God lives on the inside of. It's a reality. God himself lives on the inside of every born again believer. It was a mystery in the Old Testament, but now it is awesome. And he's praying that you would get the acknowledgement. You know, the word acknowledge just means to simply recognize something that's already true. You don't acknowledge doesn't mean that you pray for it to become true. It's already true. You just need to acknowledge that if you have been born again, Christ lives on the inside of you. I made reference to some verses last night. I won't take time to go back through, but there's many, many scriptures that just show that if you are truly born again, God himself comes and lives on the inside of you. That is a fact, but you've got to acknowledge it before it does any benefit for you. And then you've got to go beyond acknowledging. You've got to understand the understanding of the acknowledgement. And last night I shared some things that this is what really changed my life. I had heard ever since I was a little kid and got born again that God lived on the inside of me. But when I understood spirit, soul, and body, that's the title that I've put on that revelation. I've got books and CDs on that out there. When I understood this, this is what just started releasing the power of God in my life. When I quit trying to find God in my physical body and in my mind, and I realized there was a third part of me, the spirit, and it's the spirit where God lives and he inhabits my spirit. And that in the spirit realm, I am equal 
with God. Not, it, not due to any goodness of my own, but I, as he is, so am I in this world. That he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And on and on, there's many scriptures that talk about this. Man, if you can understand this, then that helps you to go a long ways in receiving from God. This is what just totally uh, transformed my life. And so I'm working from the end of Colossians chapter two backwards. And so we've talked about acknowledging that he's in you and then understanding that he's in you. And again, the thing of understanding the spirit realm and that it's in the spirit, you can't see it. You can't feel it, taste it. It's something that you just have to believe by faith based on what God's word says. That's the understanding. And then the next thing it says that you have to gain the assurance of this. And you know, this is a strange statement to some people. To most people, to think that you have to assure yourself that Christ is in you, that he never leaves you, that he never forsakes you. Most people think that this is strange. Why would you have to assure yourself? And they have this mindset that if God was with me, I'd just know it. If God was blessing me, I would know it. And they just assume that if God has really anointed them and if they really have healing and if they really have power and if they really have these things, you would just know it. It's just something that would automatically work. That's not true. You have to get the assurance, the full assurance of understanding this mystery of Christ in you. Look at this passage over in 1 John chapter 3. And I believe it's verse 19. Let me back up to verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And if I was to take time, you could put this into its context. All of the verses in front of this were talking about loving people. This is how you know that you are of God, etc. And so he's saying, let us love not just in word, but in deed and in truth. And in verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This right here says that you have to assure your hearts that you are of God. You have to assure your heart that God has really done these things in your life. Again, there's many people that think, well, if God really loved me, I'd just know it. If God was really pleased with me, I would feel his pleasure. That's not true. You have to assure your heart of this. If you look the word assure up in the dictionary, you know what one of the definitions of it is? To remove doubt. The removal of doubt. Assurance is the removal of doubt. God says that he would bless whatever you set your hand unto. He said that he would supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I could quote you a hundred scriptures about how God's just with you and wants you to prosper and have an abundant life. That you might have life and have it more abundantly and on and on and on it goes. That's what the word says. But you know what? You don't always feel that way. Especially if you are living as a mere human being, listening to the news, having everybody talk about the great recession, prophesying all of these things, you are going to feel fear. You're going to have 
uh, worry and doubt and fear if you were just plugged into this world. And yet you've got all of these promises of God that promise you that God is with you and that he's going to prosper you. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper that whatever you set your hand unto is blessed. It will prosper. You got all of these promises, but there is just so much in this world that is coming against us saying, well, no, it doesn't look like God's with you. You will have people talk about, you know, these sicknesses and diseases going around. They always got some new thing coming out and talking about some disease. I mean, uh, you know, medicine resistant, antibiotic resistant thing. And people will talk about that. And if you aren't careful, you'll get fear in your life about this. When you've got promises that no plague will come nigh your dwelling. You got all of these things, but it doesn't happen just automatically. And the sad fact is most of us are more plugged into the world than we are plugged into the word. And most of us have our hearts. There is fear. There is doubt. Sometimes we aren't sure that God is really for us. Sometimes we aren't sure that he's with us. You've prayed for healing and you don't see the healing manifest. And so you go by what you see. You go by what the doctor says more than what the word of God says. And if you aren't careful, you will not have the assurance that this is talking about. It says you not only have to acknowledge something, you've not only got to gain some understanding about how can this be so, but then you've got to assure your heart. You've got to remove this doubt. You've got to encourage yourself in the things of the Lord. And it's amazing how most people don't do this. They just think that if God really loved me, I'd just automatically know it. I'd feel it. That's not true. The devil's got so many people that he can use, people to come by and just push your hot buttons and tell you that they don't like you and to criticize you. I mean, the devil will use your own dog to bite you. (laughs) There's so many avenues that the devil has at you. And if you aren't careful, you'll get into the flesh and you'll go to feeling like nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm. Did you ever sing that song when you were a kid? (laughs) But anyway, you'll go to folks and all all these negative things and you'll feel like, oh God, where are you? When the Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And it takes effort on your part to assure your heart, to convince yourself and to remove this doubt and to say, I will not receive this stuff. You know, the Bible says 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32 or 33, it says that evil communications corrupt good manners. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that people do not believe in God. They do not advocate the things of God. They're promoting ungodliness just by the bucketfuls. And most of us are watching this stuff and they are telling you things that is contrary to the word of God. They're going to tell you things about your finances. They're going to tell you things about your physical health. They're going to tell you things. They're going to establish a standard that marriages are falling apart, that immorality is just normal. And if you aren't careful, you will let those things begin to start dominate you. It takes effort to assure your heart that you are of God. And you're going to have to turn off some stuff and quit reading some stuff. And you're going to have to devote some extra time to the word of God to assure your heart. So this is what it's saying in 1 John chapter 3 verse 19. It says, hereby we know that we are of the truth. Some people think, well, if I was of the truth, I'd just know it. Well, if you were totally spiritual, you would. But the fact is, we also have a physical realm and we live in this physical realm. And in the physical realm, we are bombarded by things that saying there is no God. Don't depend upon God. 
If you get cancer, it's a death sentence. There is no cure for it. They never do put with the option or, or with the caveat in there that, oh, if you're a believer, of course there's healing for you. No, they don't ever say that. They just tell you the cancer's incurable, AIDS is incurable, and they don't put on there that, you know, God can do all things. No, they're just spewing forth all of this unbelief. And if you aren't careful, you'll get to when the doctor speaks something negative over you, all of a sudden you don't have assurance because you're living more in the natural realm than you're living in the spiritual realm. You have to assure your heart. You have to convince yourself. It takes time to get to a place where I don't care what the doctor says, what the lawyer says, what the banker says, what the person on the news says. I don't care what anybody says. God's word is absolute final authority in my life. It takes time to get to that place. You have to assure yourself. I have people come to me all the time and say, would you just please pray that God would show me his love? I just don't feel the love of God. And they think that that's a great prayer. When I hear stuff like that, the spirit of slap wants to come all over me. People think, well, what's wrong with that? You know what you're doing? You're going by your feelings. And because you don't feel God's love, because you don't have a goosebump going up and down your spine, then you just don't think that anything has happened. So you want God to come down to your level and just give you some emotional thing that will make you feel better. What you need to be doing is sitting there and say, I don't care how I feel. Here's what God's word says that he has committed his love towards me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And if that was true before I got born again, much more now that I'm born again, does God love me? And you ought to encourage yourself in the Lord and assure yourself. But there's very few times that people come to me and say, would you please just help me? I know God loves me, but I'm just not experiencing. I got so many problems. Would you help me to get my eyes back on Jesus? They don't approach it that way. They approach it like it's God's fault. Would you please pray and ask God to touch me and pour out his love? God's already poured out his love. If you aren't walking in the love of God, it's not God's fault. It's yours. It's because you are listening to the lies of this world. You are listening and looking only with your eyes and you aren't going by what the word of God says. You have to assure yourself. You have to remove all doubt That's what this is saying, that we have to assure our heart. In verse 20, if our heart condemn us not, or excuse me, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. What this is saying is, even if your heart is condemning you, even if you don't feel the love of God, even if you don't have the assurance, God is faithful. God's never going to leave you. He's always there. All of his love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, Galatians 5, 22 is always with you. God never changes, but you just don't get any benefit of it because as you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. Those of you that have been depressed and saying, Oh God, where are you? You in your spirit, you've got love, joy, peace, You are never discouraged. There is no discouragement in your spirit. You've got all of this all of the time. You just aren't benefiting from it because you are thinking in the negative and you're receiving the negative instead of the positive that God has to offer. So if our heart condemns us, it doesn't change God. God is still with you. God has still blessed you. God has still healed you. Everything is still true, but you just don't benefit from it. And this is where the vast majority of Christians live. The next verse says, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards him. When you can get to the place that you remove this condemnation, this doubt, 
this worry that comes by us just thinking in the natural realm and listening to unbelievers and looking at things only with your natural eyes instead of looking through faith. When you can remove that doubt and assure your hearts, that's when you have confidence. First John chapter five, since we're here, just look over a page. First John chapter five, verse 14. It says, this is the confidence that we have in him that if any, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. When you can get to that confidence, it's because you've assured your heart and you no longer are allowing your physical circumstances and your own physical feelings to dictate, but you're basing your life on the reality of what God's word says, not a feeling. Man, that's big. That is huge. That is huge. I'm telling you that in your heart, you're perfect. If you've been born again in your heart, you are identical to Jesus. You have Christ himself living on the inside of you. You don't have need of anything. You don't need God to come and touch you and give you something else. You've already got it all. In your spirit, you are complete. Matter of fact, if I could talk fast enough, I was trying to get down there and Colossians chapter two, verse nine, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. You don't need anything. You don't need joy. You don't need peace. You don't need money. You don't need healing. You don't need wisdom. You've already got all of this in your spirit. It's already a done deal, but you've got to assure your heart. You got to convince yourself that you've got it all. And when the, when the bank statement comes and you've got more bills than you got money, Man, sometimes that's hard to overcome what you see with your eyes and say, no, God supplies all of my need. It's sometimes hard to go beyond what you see and what you feel, but you can do it. Man, if I had to, I could give you a hundred examples of Jamie and I, how we went through terrible financial poverty and through all kinds of different things, physical things, sicknesses in our body, and just on and on. There Anybody who lives a very long period of time, you are going to believe for something and not see the physical manifestation of it. I've prayed for people who died while I prayed for them. And you know what? That tends to make most people just change right there. Well, it didn't work. Well, it's obvious that that person didn't get healed in this physical body, but that doesn't mean that God failed. There's other options. That could mean that maybe I wasn't believing. Maybe they weren't believing. Maybe there's things that I haven't learned yet. But you know what? I've had to stand against things when when everything in myself wanted to tell me that it doesn't work. And I've had to just assure my heart and convince my heart that, look, God did not miss it. God is faithful. God did not lie. I remember this, this good friend of Jamie and mine, she died and I was with her when she died and we were believing God for healing. And every single person, her parents, every single person involved in it says, well, obviously it's not God's will to heal every time because this person, if anybody believed and trusted God, it was this person. And so everybody said, well, it must not be God's will. And I told him, I said, I just don't accept that. 
And they said, how could you say that? And I said, because the Bible says he wishes above all things that we prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. By his stripes, we were healed. If you anoint with oil, a prayer of faith will save the sick. And they said, but obviously it didn't work. And I said, well, I know that she died, but I don't know what that means, but I can guarantee you it was God's will for her to be well. And they, and so they came back with, are you saying that God's will doesn't automatically come to pass? And now I would say, yes. But back then I didn't understand. I said, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just telling you that I know God didn't fail. God's promises said this. And did you know that I got ridiculed, criticized? People thought I was of the devil and stuff. And it took me a long time to figure out what had gone on. But you know what? It wasn't God who failed. It was us that failed. It wasn't God. And I had to just stand and assure my heart when it didn't look like what I was believing for was coming to pass. I'm saying this because again, most people think that it's just automatic. If God really loved me, I'd just know it. No, you wouldn't because he's a spirit. And those who worship him, those who really connect with him, those who receive from him have to do it in spirit and in truth. And you aren't going to have just a physical sensation all of the time that God loves you and that God's with you. There are some times that I feel like God moved and didn't leave a forwarding address. But I know what the word says and I just assure my heart and I say, I don't care what it feels like. Matter of fact, some of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen in my life happened when I felt nothing. And I've just come to realize that, you know what? You cannot depend upon feelings. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I've seen people come out of wheelchairs when I was just sure that it wouldn't work. And yet it happened. And I've learned not to go by my feelings. I've learned to stand on what God's word says. If I'm praying for somebody and I lay hands on you and you fall over dead, if I'm in faith, I'll step right over you and say, next. (laughs) It's not God that failed. It's either me that failed or you or something else. You know, I was in uh, Ireland and there, anyway, it's a long story, but I was teaching on how you can make a healing manifest. It's not up to God whether the healing manifests. it's up to you. God's already done his part. It's us that control whether healing manifests itself. I was teaching on that. And so I had some people come forward. One of them was a guy who was totally deaf and he came up, he was about 20 something years old. And I laid hands on him and I prayed over this guy for 10 or 15 minutes, held the whole service trying to make that healing manifest and never did see it manifest. He still couldn't hear a single thing. And I knew it wasn't God's fault and I knew it was either his fault or my fault or, you know, the uh, atmosphere that you're in also controls things. That's why Jesus had to put out the unbelievers and seek seclusion. There's a number of things involved about why sometimes we don't see the power of God manifest. I didn't know exactly what the problem was, but I knew it wasn't God. And after spending 15 minutes with him and it looked like everything I was teaching was wrong. I just said, all right, next. (laughs) And These two girls walked up and it turned out that they were the sisters to this guy who was totally deaf. There was 12 kids in the family and these two girls were twins and both of them were born blind and they were both totally blind. And I thought, well, boy, this is really great. I said, I just spent 15 minutes with a totally deaf person and didn't see a thing happen. I said, boy, if something doesn't happen here, this meeting's over. 
But you know what? I just, I, I assured my heart and I said, look, it is not your fault, God. And I said, I am resisting what I feel and I'm not going by what I see. And I laid hands on these two girls and prayed for them. And when I got through, they opened up their eyes and looked and they could see. They were about 18, 19 years old. First time in their life that they had ever seen and their eyesight opened and they could see. And their mother was standing at the back. It was further than from here to the back of this room. And their mother was back there just jumping and shouting. And I turned them around and I said, let me introduce you to your mother. And I got to show them their mother the first time in their life. And the grandma, they were all Catholics. In uh, Ireland, if you aren't a Catholic, somebody's messed with you. (laughs) So they were all Catholics. And the grandmother got up and made all 12 of her grandkids, all of her kids and great grandkids. They was like 17, 20 people. And she made them all march down. And she says, we're accepting this God. And they all prayed and got born again. It was awesome. But the reason I'm saying this is to tell you that, look, I deal with the same things that anybody else deals with. There's times that it doesn't look like things are working. And I just have to assure my heart and say, I refuse to give in to what I see, to what I feel. God's word says this, and I keep acting on the word of God. And there's so many people that just don't have that tenacity. It's like they just, oh God, do this. And if it doesn't work automatically, they can't see it. They can't feel it. Well then, I I just don't know why it's not working and you give up. I'm telling you, you gotta fight the good fight of faith. You've gotta assure your heart And you got to say, I don't care what I see. I'm not moved by what I see. I walk by faith and not by sight. And you got to believe the word of God and you've got to assure your heart. Man, that's powerful. And brothers and sisters, it takes effort to assure your heart. It takes time to assure your heart. It takes quitting some of the stuff you're doing to live with a confident, assured heart. You can't live the lifestyle that the average American lives and live with confidence and assurance because our society is absolutely full of unbelief. It is an ungodly society. Thank you for that thunderous silence, but it's all true. Look over in Hebrews chapter six. I'm gonna give you two ways that you assure your heart. And there's, there's more than two, but these are generalities that encompass a lot of things. In Hebrews chapter six, in verse 11, it says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. He's beginning to talk about how you get a full assurance. This goes right along with Colossians chapter two, verse two, where it says you have to have the riches of the full assurance. There's, there's a difference between just acknowledging something, then understanding what you've acknowledged and then being assured of it and then being fully assured. It says in Romans chapter four, it talks about Abraham. It says, and being not uh, weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith being, uh, I forget the exact wording, but I think it's being confident or fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Is that there? The next verse, verse 20. Did you go to that one, Ryan? 
Wake up, Ryan. Earth to Ryan. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And the next verse, and being fully persuaded. There it is, fully persuaded. See, there's a difference between being assured and being fully assured, being persuaded and being fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded that what he had promised, God had promised, he was able to also perform. There's a lot of people that have some knowledge. They even understand some of the things, but they don't assure themselves and then they don't get fully assured. It's just talking about the absolute removal of doubt. You've got to get to a place to where there is no doubt in you. A little bit of doubt will go a long ways. A little bit of doubt will counter a lot of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You could turn around and say unbelief comes by hearing also. Hearing anything that's contrary to the word of God. And we hear stuff contrary to the word of God constantly. So this is talking about that you would uh, show diligence to the full assurance of faith unto the end. That ye be not doubt slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Right here, it's making reference to the fact that you know what? To get fully assured, you can't be slothful. You can't be lazy. You are going to have to get after it. You are going to have to spend some time seeking God. You're going to have to turn off the television and quit watching as the stomach turns and reading the dime romance novels and reading the all of the junk that's full of unbelief and the news. The news is terrible. You know, the scripture says in uh, Philippians chapter four, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. It gives you a command. And if you were to take those standards right there and put it up against your television watching, I guarantee you most of you, would just have nothing to watch. The shows that we watch aren't full of good, godly, honest, virtuous things that are true and honest. It's not good report. We are just polluting ourselves with all of the junk of this world and then you want to have assurance and be fully persuaded. It doesn't happen that way. That usually goes over about like that, but that's, a, that's the truth. You have to be diligent. It's going to take some effort on your part. You know, when you're studying the word and praying and assuring yourself, it takes effort on your part. When you're sitting there just watching TV, it doesn't take any effort. You just sit there and just let all the filth, the sewage of the world flow right through and it doesn't take any effort on your part whatsoever. It takes effort to discipline yourself. It takes effort to get into the word of God. But it's well worth the effort. You're going to have to quit being slothful, but the followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter 22. After Abraham had offered up Isaac, his son, the Lord was so touched. He says, surely I swear by myself that in blessing, I will bless thee. You know, God, it was impossible for him to lie. So he didn't have to swear, but because of our infirmity, because of our unbelief, just so that he could give us extra confidence and security, he made an oath by himself. 
He didn't have to do it, but he did it just to try and guarantee to us the surety of what he was saying. And so um, in verse 19, and after he had patiently endured, he inherited the promises for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. That was one immutable thing. And the second thing was he swore by himself. We might have strong, uh, strong consolation, or you could say assurance or persuasion that we could totally be convinced of this, who have fled to lay refuge, to lay hold, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. And then it says in the next verse, this is really powerful, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Man, what this is describing, it's using a word picture in the same way that a ship or a boat If you don't anchor it, it'll just float on that and it'll be tossed about with every wind of doctrine and it'll just float and go anywhere. But if you put an anchor down, you can hold that boat in position even though the waves are coming, the wind is blowing. And it says that hope, this hope that was given by his word is like an anchor that enters right into the veil, talking about the holy of place. We can be anchored right into God through these promises. And that's what holds our soul steadfast and keeps it from being moved about with all of these things. I wish I had time to teach right now. Hopefully some of you have heard my teaching on spirit, soul, and body, but your spirit is the part of you that is already changed. It's perfect. You don't have a problem in your spirit. It's your soul, which is your mental, emotional part and your body. That's the problem. And primarily it's your soul. As you think in your heart, That's talking about your soul. That's the way that you are. It's your brain. It's right between your ears where the battle is. And it's our soul that gets out of whack. It's our soul that gets into doubt and unbelief. This is where all doubt and unbelief comes through is through your soul, the way you think and process information. And it says that these promises of God's word are like an anchor to your soul to keep you steadfast, tied into God. So one of the ways that you assure yourself is with these exceeding great and precious promises with what God says. He's sworn all of these things. It's impossible for God to lie. And he has confirmed to you. That's the reason the word of God is so important. You have to know the word of God. You have to use the word of God as a weapon to counter the doubt and the unbelief that comes unto you. Thoughts come. You live in a world, and even though I live a separated life, I am not plugged into the world near the way that most people are. I just had a friend call me yesterday and he says, have you read in charisma all of the criticism that they got against faith teach, I mean, grace teaching and stuff. And I said, no, I don't read charisma. I said, I don't know much of what's going on. If it's not in the Bible, I don't know about it. (laughs) And he wanted my opinion about some stuff. And I said, look, I am not the person to comment on current events because I honestly, if it's not in the Bible, I just don't know much about it. And so, but anyway, I'm saying that even though I live a relatively separated life and I'm not influenced by things the way that the most people are, I guarantee you, I still 
am exposed to doubt and unbelief and there's negative things spoken in it and it takes effort. And I use the word of God to evaluate every thought, every emotion, everything that I have. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, I reject it. I try and reject it. I don't do it perfectly, but I do it as much as I possibly can. That is such a simple statement. And brothers and sisters, the vast majority, and I believe that you're the cream of the crop. Here it is Friday morning. You're out here listening to me. You are a fanatic. You're way above the average Christian. And yet I can guarantee you probably the majority of people sitting in this room allow all kinds of thoughts to come into your soul that are contrary to the word of God and you do not deal with them. And because of it, it's keeping your heart from being assured. You aren't absolutely confident because you listen to all of this junk, all of this unbelief, and it affects the way that you function. And somebody's sitting here thinking, hey, I, I can handle it. It doesn't bother me. First Corinthians 15, says, don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you think you can just listen to doubt and unbelief all of the time and be unaffected, you're deceived. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. That's not only talking about your tongue. That's talking about everybody else's tongue. Every word that you hear is either lining up with the word of God and building you up and encouraging you and helping you or it's tearing you down. There isn't any in between. It didn't say death, it didn't say death and life and a whole bunch of words that don't matter about anything. It's either life or death. Every word that you hear is either confirming the word of God or countering the word of God. And it can be very subtle. It can be very subtle. They may not sit there and say, God doesn't heal today, but they'll sit there and say, well, it's flu season. And by saying that and not putting any other options with it, it's implying that, you know what? You're only human. It's flu. Everybody gets it. Who do you think you are? You need this shot or you are going to get the flu. That's not true. Word of God says no plague will come nigh my dwelling. And so just hearing somebody say it's flu season, just hearing somebody say, well, it's allergy season. Well, you're over 50. And so you should expect this. Those kind of things minister doubt and unbelief and they're contrary to God's word. Moses was 120 years old, Deuteronomy chapter 32, I believe it's verse seven. And his eyesight wasn't dim or his natural force abated. If that was for Moses under an old covenant, which what I have is better under the new covenant, well then praise God, I should expect to live to be 120 years old and not have my natural force abated, nor my eyesight dim. But you'll sit there and listen to commercials about your eyesight and how you need to get this done. You know what? I avoid those things when I can, but when I can't avoid it, I'll sit there and I'll say, it's not flu season for me. I'll at least counter those words. Over in Isaiah chapter 54, I believe it's verse 17. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. Boy, if you would analyze that verse, it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And then it says, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. It links weapons to words. Words are weapons. This is how Satan is coming against you and making your heart unassured. 
I don't even know if that's the right word or not, but it's how he takes your assurance away is through words. And they're weapons. And notice it says every weapon, no weapon will prosper and every tongue you shall condemn. You have to judge it. You have to condemn it. If you hear somebody say that, well, it's a recession, you better tighten your belt. You need to expect decrease. You cannot prosper. That's contrary to what God's word says, that he will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, even through a recession. And so if you hear something negative about your finances, you need to condemn it and say no in the name of Jesus right then. Condemn it. Deal with it. If a doctor says something to you that's contrary to what you're believing, condemn it. Amen. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I'm telling you, I just, when I hear unbelief, I'll condemn it. Now I try and be as nice as I can about it, but nonetheless, I'll counter it. You know, I've learned that if somebody comes up and goes to speaking negative about me, speaking, you know, like right now, we're believing God for $32 million to pay cash for a building program. And there's people that will come up and they, they may not just come out and say, well, it doesn't work, but they will just express some form of doubt or unbelief about how this is going to happen. You know what? I'll counter it. They sit there and say something negative. I'll say, oh no, God's supplying my need. And I'll tell them we're already 30 million of the 32 million there. Man, we're making it. And I have to focus looking on the good instead of looking at the bad. And if somebody brings up something negative, I'll sit there and counter it. No, in the name of Jesus, this isn't what I'm believing. That's condemning those words. If I condemn them right then, then you know what? It's like it has no impact on me. It's like water off a duck's back. But if I'm afraid that I'm going to offend somebody, and so I just smile and shake my head and then go off and have to pray it off, it might take me 20, 30 minutes, an hour, a day to get that stuff rooted out. The death that's in those negative words just begins to start springing forth and bringing forth fruit immediately. But I found out that when I hear something, it doesn't matter if it's on the radio, television, if I'm talking to a person, if somebody goes to countering what I believe in, I counter it and condemn it and say, no, in the name of Jesus. And I cast it down. And I know some of you think, well, I'd never be that rude. So you just be defeated. It's your choice. Let those words minister death to you or condemn them, counter them. You know, I hesitate to give you examples because I'm not the most tactful person on the face of the planet. <laughs> you might could do things a lot better than I did, but I do this. And, you know, I was, uh, I had to get a physical one time for an insurance policy. And uh, anyway, it's a long story. I won't go into the whole thing, but they were going to, put these electrodes on my chest, you know, and I had to do this treadmill test and stuff. And, and so they were going to shave the hair on my chest. And I told this nurse, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. I said, you can't shave the hair on my chest. And anyway, they got to laughing. And so they said, all right, we'll try it without shaving the hair on your chest. So anyway, they put these six electrodes on my chest and I started this treadmill. And after I got to sweating, these things started falling off. And so I was holding two of them. A nurse was holding two of them and the doctor was holding two of them. And I was running on this treadmill 
And I had witnessed to them about my son being raised from the dead. After being dead for five hours, he just came back to life and God raised him up. I had told them about miracle after miracle after miracle. And so after I got through with this test, this doctor was looking at this paper and he looked at the 11 minute and like 52 second mark or something. And he started grunting and, oh, and, you know, shaking his head. And and then he wrote something on a piece of paper and handed it to me. He says, this is an address of a friend of mine. He's a doctor. You need to go over there. We're going to run more tests on you and probably put you in the hospital. And we might do bypass surgery on you, open heart surgery before the day is over. He says, you're in serious condition. And you know, it just broadsided me. And I looked at him for just a second. And then I said, that's a lie. (laughs) I said, I don't believe that. And this doctor just looked at me. Apparently he wasn't used to people telling him that he was a liar. And he says, what do you mean? I said, that's a lie. I said, you look at that piece of paper and say, show me that that shows I've got a serious heart problem. And he started backing up and he said, well, in one spot out of a 15 minute test, one spot, you were just one one hundredth of a whatever off. And he says, everybody's heart's a little different. Your heart might be perfect, but I think we ought to go get it checked and make sure. I said, that's not what you told me. You told me I had a serious heart problem and that you might have to do open heart surgery. I said, you lied to me. And I just got on this guy's case. And you know what? He tore that piece of paper up and he said, leave. (laughs) And he kicked me out of his office and flunked me on my test. I couldn't get the insurance. And so we have a doctor on my board and I went down to Shreveport, Louisiana, and he did a nuclear stress test where they inject you with this dye. And he tested me and did every test you can run. He says, you got the heart of a 17 year old. He said, there's nothing wrong with your heart. And he told me, he says, did you know that those treadmill tests that they give you are 50% wrong? They are wrong as often as they're right. He says, don't ever let a doctor tell you something based on one of those treadmill tests. That is not accurate. But did you know, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody, but I'm just trying to get my point across. How many of you, if a doctor was to tell you, you've got a serious problem and you might have to have open heart surgery before the day's over, how many of you would sit there and condemn it and say, I reject that. I refuse to believe this. (laughs) Here's some people raising their hands. There's some of you that are rabid fanatics. Amen. But you know what? The average person in here, I guarantee you, you wouldn't offend a doctor. You wouldn't say anything. You would just sit there and humbly submit and you would allow that seed to be planted and start taking away your assurance. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 11, it's either verse 11 or 12. Jesus said that since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is preached and the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The way to interpret that is that you've got to get violent. You've got to get to a place where you aren't passive. You need to take control. I talked to a woman up here today who had six or seven things wrong with her. She had a tear coming down her cheek and I was compassionate towards her. And I said, why did you let this happen? And she just looked at me like, I don't have anything to do with this. And I said, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I said, 
Satan can't just do all of this stuff to you without your consent and cooperation. I said, you need to get angry. The problem with you is you're too nice. You're a nice woman. You need to get angry. You need to get mad and sick and tired of being sick and tired and just reach a place that I'm not going to live like this. I am not going to be on medicine the rest of my life. I am not going to be invalid the rest of my life. I will not do this stuff. And you know, when you get violent, you'll find out that man, the power of God begins to start flowing. The violent take the kingdom of heaven by force. And you can't do that if you aren't assured. If you are wishy-washy, if you're vacillating and wondering, do I, can I really do this? If you haven't assured your heart, you'll never be that bold. You're going to have to assure your heart. And one of the ways you do it is by these promises of God. It's like an anchor and it just holds you there. And when you hear something contrary to the word, reject it, counter it, refuse that stuff. Man, that is so simple what I'm saying. I know some of you are looking for something deeper, but until you get to where you're doing this, you don't need anything any deeper. Most people aren't fanatical like this. Most people will let other people speak into their life. They listen to stuff. They let the sewage of the world flow through them and then wonder why they feel dirty. Man, you need to start making some decisions. You need to start judging some things. Amen. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to show you a second way that you assure your heart. I could just minister on the importance of God's word forever. I've got, matter of fact, that's about what I do. (laughs) I've got dozens of series that just talk about how important God's word is. This is why the Bible college is so important. Most people don't get into the word on their own. And most, you know, it's, I've been studying the word day and night for 45 years. And there's no reason it has to take you 45 years. You can take advantage of people who have spent time in the word and we can condense things and help you. And it's, man, it's just tremendous to sit and receive these things. Here's a second thing that really helps you to assure your heart and convince yourself of Christ in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and let me start reading with um, verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ. Did I read that right? Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. What I'm wanting to focus on is this word earnest. The word earnest means a down payment or a guarantee. You know, when you buy a house, they want you to put earnest money down. What that means is you're guaranteeing that you're serious, that they're going to try and work this contract out. And if everything works, then this earnest money is your proof that you are serious. You will go through with the deal. So earnest is proof, a guarantee, a down payment of something. And it calls the Holy Spirit here, the earnest. He has given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is a proof to us that God is alive and that he is risen from the dead and that he does live on the inside of us. 
I'm running short of time here, so I'm just going to say some of these things. You have to go find this out on your own. But in John chapter 7 and John chapter 14, Jesus gave promises. He says that when I am risen from the dead, I will send the promise of the Father unto you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And he will come and dwell in you forever. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have the ability to speak in tongues, you know what that is? That's an earnest. It's a proof that Jesus rose from the dead and came and lived in your heart. And one of the ways that you assure your heart before God is through this power of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. It is proof that Jesus did make it to the Father. He rose from the dead because he said he wouldn't send the Holy Spirit until he had risen from the dead and ascended unto the Father. So we, the Holy Spirit, the fact that I have the Holy Spirit with me and I can speak in tongues is proof to me every time I speak in tongues that Jesus made it. It's proof. It's evident. If I want to ensure my... to assure myself and convince myself, one of the things I do is start speaking in tongues because that man is the Holy Spirit. It's the earnest of my inheritance. Look in chapter five, 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse five. He's talking in these verses. He started in verse 18 of the previous chapter saying, we're looking at things that can't be seen. Most people think, man, that's weird. If you can't see it, how do you see it? You have to see it with your heart, with faith not just with your eyes. And then he starts talking about how that we have a glorified body waiting for us. And if this physical body dies, we have a spiritual body that has been guaranteed to us in heaven. And he's talking about these things that can't be proven in just the natural. You have to see it by faith. You have to walk by faith. And he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. He says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who hath also given unto us the earnest of the spirit. Here again, the Holy Spirit is an earnest, a down payment, a guarantee that these things are so. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life is absolutely essential for you to assure your hearts. The Holy Spirit is sent to edify you and bear witness. It says over in 1 John chapter 5, I believe it's verse 13, that we have the witness in ourself. And that's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our hearts that we are the children of God. Romans chapter 8 and just so many other places. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit which is given unto us. I tell you, if you're going to assure your heart and if you're going to walk in faith instead of unbelief, you're going to have to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit speak in tongues, and then you're going to have to use it and build yourself up. In Jude chapter one, verse 20, it says, but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy ghost. That's talking about praying in tongues. When you pray in tongues, you build yourself up on your most holy faith. It's the highest level of faith that you can get to. Speaking in tongues is like turning a switch and it just turns on the power of God. And it starts doing something to you. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, about verse 2 or 4, it says that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. The word edify means to build up, promote spiritual growth. You know, I really don't have any, 
uh, let's see, I need to use the right word. I have compassion for you, but I don't have pity for any person who has the Holy Spirit and yet is just down in the mouth and beat down and depressed and discouraged. I can have compassion for you, but I don't have pity because you've got everything that you need to be able to overcome. You just aren't using it. You need to start using the Holy Spirit. When you speak in tongues, you build yourself up on your most holy faith. If you come to me talking about how discouraged you are, and if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, and if you hadn't spoken in tongues in months, well, shame on you. Turn over and let me give you a good swift kick in the rear. Why aren't you using what God gave you? Man, if you need to be encouraged, if you need the love of God shed abroad in our heart, if you need to be built up and promoted spiritually, go to speaking in tongues. And the Bible says that it'll cause you to dwell in your most holy faith. The next verse, this was Jude chapter one, verse 20. It says, you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The next verse, verse 21 says, keep yourself in the love of God. When you start praying in tongues, it keeps you in the love of God. It will cause the love of God to abound in your life. It's powerful. And, I, you know, many people to them, speaking in tongues is something that they do one time to prove that they receive the Holy Spirit. And then they may go years without ever speaking in tongues again. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than ye all. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he was talking to a body of believers. That would be like me saying, I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. What a huge statement. And it just so happened that this guy kept himself in the love of God. He wrote half of the New Testament. He turned the world right side up. And this guy talked in tongues more than all of the Corinthians put together. There's got to be some relationship there. I'm telling you, speaking in tongues is awesome. It changes your life, but you've got to use it. It doesn't change your life if you don't use it. It's just like flipping a switch and turning on the power. But if you never flip the switch, it doesn't do anything. When you speak in tongues, your natural mind is going to say, this is silly. I don't know what I'm saying. This is gibberish. You know, one of the problems that I deal with when I pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they think, well, this doesn't sound like a real tongue. What does a real tongue sound like? (laughs) Jamie and I have been over in China and we heard those people and we thought, man, this makes my speaking in tongues sound really good. (laughs) Man, Chinese doesn't sound like a language to me. Did you know that they actually, the Wycliffe translators have found a group of people that they whistle is how they talk. It's whistles and it's a tongue. It's a language. They've written it down. And they've translated the Bible into whistles. There's another language that's nothing but clicks of the tongue. Just clicks. That's how they talk. And it's a language. But see people, ah, mine doesn't sound like a real tongue. It doesn't sound like I'm speaking in tongues to me. And you know what? Your mind, if you are controlled by the flesh, your mind will rebel when you go to speaking in tongues. You'll go to saying, this is silly. This is stupid. You need to quit this. Do something that you know what you're doing. For you to persist and pray in tongues, not just for one phrase, not just for one minute, but I'm talking about spending 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour speaking in tongues. For you to do something like that, you've got to move beyond the physical. 
You've got to move beyond doubt and unbelief and you have to get into faith. It makes you get into your most holy faith if you pray in tongues any length of time at all. And that's the reason it's so important. It makes you focus on spiritual things. It'll make you focus on God. It will build you up. It'll encourage you. The Holy Spirit is the earnest, the guarantee of these things. Look at Ephesians chapter one. Here's another time. It's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, it says, in whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. We've all been purchased by the blood of Jesus, but right now we don't see the full manifestation of it. Your spirit is completely saved, but your body and soul are not completely saved. They aren't changed. This mortal has to put on immortality. This corruptible has to put on incorruption. Your body is mortal and it's going to be changed. Your mind and emotions are going to be changed. They aren't changed now, but your spirit is completely changed. And until your body and soul get changed, the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the guarantee, the proof that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And when you go to yielding to the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and building up yourself on your most holy faith, it just does world of damage to your doubt and unbelief. If you are full of doubt and unbelief the way most people are, you will either quit praying in tongues or you will have to get out of doubt and unbelief and get into faith to continue to pray in tongues. It does not satisfy your flesh. It is foolishness to your flesh. It's embarrassing to your flesh. After I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit for nearly two years, I was taught so much trash about it. I was taught that it was of the devil. That for nearly two years after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, every time I'd speak in tongues, I was embarrassed by myself. Nobody else was around. And I was embarrassed thinking, this is silly. What am I doing? But I read in the Bible and I was just forcing myself to act on what God's word said. And I was going against my natural feelings. And you know what I was doing? I was assuring my heart. I was letting the Holy Spirit give me confidence and boldness and bear witness that I had been born again and that Jesus did make it to the Father because, man, here I am praying in tongues. And now I pray in tongues a lot and I I prayed in tongues a lot today. I pray in tongues and I assure my heart. I tell you, it makes you strong when you operate in the Holy Spirit. You need to be praying in tongues. I'm not asking you to raise your hand because many of you would be embarrassed. But there's many of you that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit five years ago, 10 years ago, and you don't ever use it. And yet you're discouraged and you're struggling to believe and you just can't understand what the problem is. I'm telling you, that's, I'm saying this in love, but brothers and sisters, that's lazy. It's slothful. You're going to have to be stronger than that. You're going to have to get violent. You're going to have to get to a place where, man, this is what the word says. These are the promises that God has given me and I will not back off of it. And when your mind just keeps going the other direction because you've trained it that way, you are going to have to spend some time praying in tongues and renewing yourself and overcoming these things. There's one time I prayed in tongues 17 and a half hours without stopping. 
I've prayed in tongues three and four hours at a time because I had my mind just going one direction and saying, it's not working. You're going to die. Give it up. Quit. And I just said, I refuse to do this. And I would start praying in tongues and build myself up on my most holy faith. And I just refused to quit. And I prayed in tongues and did it. And I know that there's some people in here that have done this and you don't have to do things exactly the way I did. Maybe it's because I'm so full of unbelief and I just, I don't know what my problems are, but I'm telling you, I've had to, I've had to fight. I've had to take the word of God and I've had to assure my heart. It doesn't just come naturally. I have to stand against the doubt and the unbelief. We've all been baptized in unbelief and you are going to have to do something to counter it. The word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit are the two greatest weapons to assure your heart and to get the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you would do that, if we would start taking the scriptures, again, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't heard that teaching on spirit, soul, and body, you need to get that. And you need to understand how Christ can dwell in you in the spirit realm. You need to get this acknowledgement, the understanding, and then you need to get the full assurance, which only comes through the word of God as an anchor of the soul and praying in tongues and building yourself up on your most holy faith. Man, what a tremendous weapon God has given us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful. This is why the, even the religious world has fought speaking in tongues so much because the devil knows how powerful it is. He will try and say it's one of the least gifts. Let's not talk about that. I tell you what, any gift that God gives you, even if it's the least, is worth fighting for. Man, speaking in tongues is powerful. If you don't speak in tongues, you're like charging hell with a water pistol. You're trying to do it in your own strength and in your own power. You need some power. Jesus said, you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Oh man, I got something really awesome. I'd love to say right now and I'm out of time. Maybe, maybe tonight, maybe tonight I'll share this. If you could understand this, it would really, really bless you. But speaking in tongues is something that every person needs. Every person. Last night, I don't even know how many people we had come to. 70 We had 70 people come forward last night and maybe half a dozen, five, six received salvation and 70 people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. But again today, I know that there's people here that don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you never really understood the purpose of it. And today you've understood a little bit more that man, this is to encourage you and to give you proof, evidence, a down payment. And if you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. There may be somebody here saying, well, I believe I've got the Holy Spirit, but I don't have to speak in tongues. You don't. You don't have to have the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. I've got the Holy Spirit right now and I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm speaking in a known language. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. But you know what? The Lord won't make anybody. If you're just waiting on him to make you, I've had people say before, well, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. That's like a person saying, well, if God wants me to be saved, I'll be saved. 
That's not how it works. You have to believe and receive or doubt and do without. It doesn't come to pass automatically. You have to reach out and take it. And so there may be all kinds of questions you have because this is taught against a lot. But I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues has revolutionized my life. It's one of the ways that I have assured my heart and been able to overcome a tremendous amount of doubt and unbelief. And I'm just recommending it highly. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I'd like to pray for you and help you to receive. Is there anybody here who'd raise your hand and say, that's me and I want to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. Praise God, we've still got hands all over. Even though we've had 70 people or more, we've still got people here this morning. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here who's spoken tongues 20 years ago and hadn't done it since. You need to come down here and restart this thing. It doesn't mean that you didn't receive, but you need to go to flowing in this gift of the Holy Spirit. There's somebody thinking, well, what happens if I go down there and I don't receive? Well, I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, you aren't going to receive. You got nothing to lose. I'm going to give you a free book. I'm going to give every person down here a free book. So you got nothing to lose. You got a lot to gain. There's no reason not to come. If you aren't speaking in tongues, if you don't have the ability to speak in tongues, you ought to come down here and let somebody help you to receive. Because I tell you, this is a powerful, powerful gift. Anybody else? I still feel in my heart that there's some people that hadn't come forward and I don't know what your reason is. You're afraid. We aren't going to do anything weird to you. We're just going to pray for you. I'm going to give you a free book. I hadn't got a church for you to join. You don't have to quit your church to come down here. This is a zero risk. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be down here. Somebody says, well, I've got questions. Well, I've got answers. But I'm not going to be able to talk to you personally. You come down here and let us pray for you and we'll give you a book and I guarantee you it'll help answer your questions. But if you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be down here. I tell you what, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's going to help you, not hurt you. Isn't this awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You know, I gave the invitation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. But Jesus said that he's the one who gave the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive Jesus, the giver, 
before you receive the gift. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus personally, you need to first of all pray and make sure that you're truly born again. There's a lot of people who believe that there's a God. They may even believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they think, well, isn't that enough? The Bible says, no, the devils believe and tremble. You got to do more than the devil has done. He believes in God. He believes in Jesus, the Son of God. But he's never committed his life to him. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord. Is there anybody down here who's never done that? This isn't based on whether you're good or bad. It's not that your good outweighs your bad. It's all about have you made Jesus your Lord? Have you truly committed your life to him and said, I want you to control my life? This isn't a promise that you'll never make a mistake because you can't keep that promise. You will fall short, but you have to be willing to turn your life over and make Jesus your Lord. Let him run and control your life. Is there anybody here who's never done that? If, if that's you, I need you to raise your hand. I need to pray with you because you can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you receive Jesus. Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. There's somebody down here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are all the rest of you born again? Do you know for sure if you were to die right this moment, you'd go to heaven and not to hell? If you're just saying, well, I hope I would, you need to pray and make sure because the Holy Spirit bears witness and convinces you that you are the child of God. Anybody else? All right, I'm going to pray with this man. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me so that he won't feel like we're just all listening to him. But brother, I'm going to say what you need to say. It's based on Romans 10, 9. And if you will pray this prayer and mean it from your heart, it's not magic. You got to believe it. But if you will believe what we're going to pray, I believe that right now you'll be changed. Jesus has already paid for your sins. It's just a matter of you receiving. You ready to do that? Amen. Let's everybody say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. Right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that, brother? Welcome to the family. Praise God. Man, that's awesome. And the Bible says that when you make Jesus your Lord like that, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reason that's significant, that means that God created you to be a dwelling place for His Holy Spirit. That's what he made you for. So there's no way that he would deny any one of you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He created you to fill with his Holy Spirit. He wants this more than you want it. So don't wonder, will he do this for me? This is what you were made for. And there's a scripture that says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is just open up the doors of your temple and welcome the Holy Spirit in. And I guarantee you, He will come in. So that's what we're going to do. Everybody up here now has professed Jesus as your Savior. 
and you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer where we open up our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to stand behind you and lay hands on you. Because in the Bible it says when they laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit was given. You can transfer the Holy Spirit from one person to another. So I'm going to lead you into prayer. These people are going to come behind and lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into you. And after they lay their hands on you, I want you to quit asking to receive the Holy Spirit and take a step of faith and believe that He did what He promised He would do. And just start thanking Him that you now have the Holy Spirit. Don't go by your feelings. Go by what the Word says. Assure your heart and say, Father, your Word says you would give, so I believe. And I want you out of your own mouth, after they lay hands on you, to start thanking God and thanking Him that you are now filled with the Holy Spirit, that you do have this gift of speaking in tongues. I want you to start talking out loud. And then those of us who know how to pray in tongues, who've already received this, we're going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 17, that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. You're praising God in this heavenly language. So we're going to start praising God in this heavenly language, thanking Him for giving you the Holy Spirit. And when we start praying in tongues, I want you to join in with us and go to speaking in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Some of you are looking at me like, how do you do it? What do I do? I've got a book that's going to explain it, and it will answer your questions. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. The only instruction I'm going to give you before we pray is that most people think that the Holy Spirit's going to force you to pray in tongues. Like when you throw up, you can't stop it. Put your hand over your mouth, and it just comes out. That's not the way that it works. It's like when I preach today, I believe that the Lord spoke through me, but he didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I spoke. It was me. That's the reason it came out in Texan. It was me that did the talking, but I believe the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit inspires it, but you have to talk. You have to give voice. And so when we pray for you and they lay hands on you, and then when we start speaking in tongues, you're going to have to start saying something. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to say something. You're going to have to make sound. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Just put your mind on the Lord. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but it'll come out different because that's their tongues. Every person's tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else's. So if you try and say what somebody else says and it comes out different, just keep talking. Amen. And you'll find out it'll be unique to you. Don't worry about what it sounds like. But this is what we're going to do. If you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Isn't that awesome? And then you'll have to continue doing this on your own. I want you to say this. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these people. Thank you for this brother who got born again today. We believe that all of his sins are forgiven. We believe all of our sins are forgiven. We believe that in the Spirit, we are a temple for the Holy Spirit. So right now, we open up the doors of our temple. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our lives right now. Come, Holy Spirit.
Spirit and fill each one of us right now. That's our desire. We welcome you and we receive it in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into every one of you right now. Holy Spirit, come and dwell in these right now in Jesus' mighty name. Praise God. Now I want you to start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. Let's put your hands in the air. Like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Just put your hands up and surrender and say, Father, I receive. Thank you, Father, that I am now filled with the Holy Spirit, that I have this gift of speaking in tongues. Talk out loud. Thank God. Operate some faith. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you that know how to speak in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. And as we speak in tongues, we want you to join in with us. Just start speaking right now. You're bypassing your brain. You're bypassing the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. And you're talking out of this born-again spirit. The Holy Spirit is building you up on your most holy faith right now. Just be bold and talk. You've got to open your mouth. Thank you, Jesus. wrong teaching and fear. And it took me a while to get my mind renewed, but I kept studying the word and I've written all of these things in a book. And I've had thousands of people come forward like this and not speak in tongues immediately, but
but they just believe that they receive. When they get home, they study the scriptures, they find out exactly what speaking in tongues is about, and they go ahead and they start speaking in tongues later. So I would like to give every one of you a book. You need this to understand. This is more important than what you understand right now. I promise you that. This is the second most important experience beyond being born again. That's number one. Then getting filled with the Holy Spirit is the second most important thing that'll ever happen to you. But you've got to understand it to get the full benefit of it. So if you would, we've got Mark right here that's got his Bible up in the air. And we've got that little room right there in the corner of this room that they've got books that we would like to ask you to go back there. They'll give you a book. If anybody has a question, they'll answer your questions. They'll pray with you. They'll help you anyway. We just want to make sure you get the maximum benefit of this. So if you would, just follow Mark right there. It'll only take a minute. And we would like to give you these books. If you are a minister and are interested in this continuing education, that uh, Van and Regina Smith are meeting in the Marigold Room A that's over here past registration. And we would love to share with you and help you. I believe it would really impact your life in a positive way. Remember that we have services tonight at 7 o'clock, then tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, and tomorrow night we start at 6 o'clock so that my staff can get through a little bit earlier packing everything up. Amen. Also, we have CDs and DVDs of last night and this morning already duplicated. DVDs and CDs back here in the back part of this room. So please go get those and uh, use it for yourself or to share with somebody else. The rest of you, I'm going to let you go. Uh, be back again tonight at 7 o'clock and we're here to pray with you. So if you need prayer for anything, please come and let someone pray with you and agree and help you to receive from the Lord. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.